Hi, this is Jason at BWC. Welcome to this podcast of our adult Bible study on Wednesday nights. Let's join Pastor Pat Dale as he shares with the group. So Acts chapter 7, we're just going to jump in and I'll explain as we go. How's that? Is that cool? Acts chapter 7, go down to verse 51. What we're going to read is just an excerpt of a sermon from Stephen. Most of you probably know where we're going, but Acts chapter 7, verse 51, and I'm going to read out the New Living Translation just because I think it's pretty cool. You stubborn people, you are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. Name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah, whom you betrayed and murdered. You deliberately disobeyed God's law, even though you received it from the hands of angels. The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusations, and they shook their fist at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, Look, I see the heavens open, and the Son of Man is standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting, that's a trip. Go, let's, go, let's read on. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. The accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they stoned, as they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Stephen, as most of you know, was considered the first Christian martyr. He was not the first Christian that had been given difficulty. It's the first one that we know, according to the Bible, that died for the name of Jesus. And he's preaching to these people that rejected Jesus and killed all the prophets. And he's like, look guys, you're repeating the same process as your folks did. And wake up, wake up. And he's preaching Jesus here. And we just gave you an excerpt. And you can go ahead and read all that in your free time. But really, this was sort of a side note because I want you to know verse 58, And they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man by the name of Saul. I want to talk about Saul a little bit tonight, but he's not my number one character tonight. But I wanted you to see where we're going next. Saul was there at Stephen's stoning because he believed and preached Jesus. In fact, in another place in the book of Acts, it says that he gave a vote. Yes, let's take him out. Let's kill him. You guys know the story of Saul, and and I've been going on a big study binge myself on the Saul of Tarsus. And we'll do that sometime because there's so much information on Saul. 
But while you're there in Acts, flip over to chapter 9. And we're going to read verse 1 through 9. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogue in Damascus asking for their cooperation in the arrest and any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light fell from heaven and suddenly shone around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. That's the end of scene one. So let's look at these first nine verses. And and I'm going somewhere, and... Believe it or not, Saul is not the person that I'm going to talk about tonight. Just giving you a little background. So we just read in chapter 7 that Saul comes along. He's just fresh off the stoning of Stephen. And he has to go to the... He goes to the right channels. And I could give you all kinds of background on on Saul, but um, we're going to save that for a juicy another study because that dude is awesome. And... Uh, but he goes to the high priest at that time was Caiaphas. Now, I don't know if you recognize the name Caiaphas, but Caiaphas was the high priest. He was the guy they brought Jesus to. He was the guy that set up a trial for Jesus. He's the one that nailed him for blaspheming God. Caiaphas was the one that had that shady little trial. And he found him guilty and he turned him over to the Romans' authority. Caiaphas was the high priest. Uh, He was the guy, that means he was the leader of the Sanhedrin court. In our society, uh, the vice president is the president of the Senate. Sanhedrin court was a ruling uh, governing body of Jewish law. He's the top dog. He is the supreme, supreme judge. And he's got papers to go take out these people that they called the way. Because what they did is they looked at him and said, this Jesus guy is messing up our Jewish tradition. We've got to go put an end to him. So one of, mission, one of the missions of Paul was to go take out everybody that said they believed in Jesus. And he had full intentions on his way to Damascus to take away not just men but women in chains. Take them in prison. He's killed. He's prosecuted. He's, he's put in prison. He's, uh, he's put... Christians through a living hell. They're in his radar. They're in his crosshairs. And uh, in verse 5 and 6, and, and we won't go through line by line, but we see on verse 5 and 6, sorry, I had to turn my page there. Um, 
we see that the very one that he's going to stomp out, he's going to stomp out the name of Jesus. He's talking to him in verse 5 and 6. This, this man that, as far as we know, Saul never met Jesus. He was his contemporary. He was around. He knew the scene. He knew, he knew the synagogues. But he never met him. And here he is. I'm going to go on, I'm on a mission to stomp out this, this guy named Jesus. And we see him here talking to him. Now remember, Jesus is gone after this point. So he's sitting here talking to the factor, the, the benefactor of the way. He, he's the start of the Christian faith. Of course, that's why we're called Christians, right? So this very one that he's trying to go wipe out anybody that would believe in him is talking to him. I, I just think that's, that's pretty cool. Verse 7, the men that were with him stood speechless. They heard someone's voice, but saw no one. Now, I don't know how religious these guys that were on the trail with him but I can't, I can't imagine what they said. And they look at each other, their jaws hit the floor, and they say, did, did you hear what I just heard? They, heard? they heard the sound. Later, I believe it's in Acts 22, they said that they, they couldn't understand. In other words, they didn't understand the enunciation. They didn't hear the words that Jesus was talking to, to Saul, but they heard a sound, and it freaked them out. And they stood speechless, and their mouth stood open. I can't imagine. They're, they're, they're on their way to take out some, some Jesus people. And this big light hits him. You guys know the story all the way back. I can't imagine what goes through their minds to see this awesome, well-trained man by the name of Saul. Years and years of schooling. And we'll talk about that at another point. He knows his stuff. And here he is laying on the ground. And they're hearing this powerful, powerful voice. And they're like, what's going on? And uh, here's this awesome, powerful man that has the ability to say, you know what? You're going to prison tonight because do you, do you deny Jesus? No, you're out. Put chains on her. Do you deny Jesus? No, put chains on him. We're going to clean this mess up. He has the power to do that. And here in this picture, we see him laying on the ground. I think it's really cool that that, that when you start thinking that you're somebody, God has ways of humbling you. I don't care how many degrees you have. I don't care how good you are. You're nothing to an almighty God. So here we have this powerful man laying in the dirt. And he gets up and he's blind. And um, he had to be led by the hand. At this point, this awesome, powerful man that could point to someone and give them arrested and possibly to their death, this man that could vote whether you live or die today, now needs help being led into the city. This powerful man, this knowledgeable man, is a blind man that needs assistance. God can humble you real quick. Be careful. (laughs) And he remained there blind for three days and he did not eat or drink. I'm going somewhere with this. What happened during those three days? Well, there's a lot of speculation. I'm, I'm certain that there was a lot of downloading. Of course, when he was there, he was, he was fasting. And we'll see uh, later in verse 11 and 12, we're going to be reading here in a minute, we'll see that he prayed. We'll see that he had visions during those three days. And I believe, personally, off-grid, that... It was a super duper downloading time for three days. 
allow me to speculate, if you will. Um, I've heard in some cultures, this this is this is wacko, but you guys know I like weird things. So, um, one form of torture, and it's been recorded in history of some cultures where they would take a man and a son, and they would chain them both up and. This even sounds bad to even say, but they would make the the man watch as they murdered his son. So he got the full witness of it. And then, as soon as they murdered the son, they would take the dad and gouge the eyes out. So the last thing the daddy saw was the death of his boy, the murder of his boy. And he had to live the rest of his life out with that being the last thing that he saw. So, I, I, I sometimes wonder, I try to get into the mind of Saul of Tarsus, and, and I don't know what all was happening spiritually and emotionally, but I know that he was being rocked. And, and one thing that I'm pretty confident that he saw was this man by the name of Stephen being stoned to death. While he held their coats and while he casted the vote, take him out. I do know, I'm pretty confident that what was going through his mind is there's that young man named Stephen that we threw rocks at him. And they were very good at throwing rocks at the head and neck because they knew that would bring the most damage. And he saw him suffer and die for the name of Christ. And then he saw this crazy side that most humans would never do. He's praying on behalf of those who are killing him. And he's saying, Lord, forgive them. And he's telling about this beautiful scene that he's seeing that says, Man, I see heaven, I see Jesus. In fact, one little footnote there. You know, when Jesus uh, left, he said, I'm going to the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and I. And the Bible, all the way through the Bible, talks about Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father. This is one scenario where you see Saul records him as standing. Just a cool little thought. What is the school of thought there, but they believe, is that Jesus stood up to receive him into heaven. Stood up to receive Stephen. And every other place in the Bible he's sitting. I'll let you I'll let you run with that. But this is what Saul saw at that moment. So it, there, there's there are theories out there that when Jesus receives someone into heaven that he stands rather than sits. So just a thought. A little drive by there. Um I just can't imagine. Can you imagine purposely murdering a person for his belief, and while you're doing it, they're praying, forgive them. Does that sound familiar to anybody? I think just a few years previous to this, Jesus is saying, forgive them for they know not what they do. Here we are years later, and Stephen's saying essentially the same thing. God, forgive them. Um... He talks about the brightness that knocked him off the donkey. In that part of the in that part of the world, it's close to the equator. So when it's high noon, it is high noon. It's not like noon around here. From what I've heard, I've never been there, but they said when the when it's at its brightest point, it's probably one of the brightest locations on the planet when it's full sun. And Saul says that the light that knocked him off of his donkey made the sunlight look dim. Do you remember Jesus said, I'm the light of the world? 
That's just cool. If you think the sun's bright, wait till you meet the other sun. Um, and he heard the voice of Jesus. Remember, he's never he's never met Jesus. As far as we know, he's never met Jesus. And now he's messed up. Now he's messed up. He's blind. He has all this stuff going on inside. I can't imagine. He's dedicated his life. They say a minimum of eight years of schooling. This guy knew his stuff. Some of the best schools, some of the best teachers you could sit under. Let's read on. Scene 2, verse 10. (laughs) And this is where I want to go. Now there was a believer, some say a disciple, in Damascus called Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. And the Lord said, Go over to Straight Street, to the light, Straight Street, to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him in a vision a man named Ananias coming and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about this terrible things this man has done to believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest anyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands upon him. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterwards, he ate some food and regained his strength. And we'll stop there. What I really want to look at is Ananias tonight. Took a long way around, Pat. Well, wanted to throw throw down some background for you there. Um, we see Ananias has a has a relationship with God. He's a Christian. Ananias, from what we can understand and studying him, is that he was a devout Jew, but he accepted Jesus as the Messiah. We would call him a Masonic, Messianic Jew today, where he. Do you remember when Paul talks about be careful not to mix the law and grace? Remember all that story through through the Romans and Galatians? He's talking to the church, especially in Romans. saying, be careful not to mix the law and grace because you're going to live a frustrated life. Yes? Yes. Okay. This is what Ananias, because this is a first generation. They don't have it all figured out. But he's a man that believes in Jesus. Can you imagine Ananias is just a good Christian guy? He doesn't have degrees, as far as we know. He's just a guy that loves God. And and God comes to him in a vision. And he, he shows this vision. He said, "There's. I want you to go up to this address. This is really cool. God gave him an address. I'm going to tell you the guy's street address, and I'm going to tell you the guy's house. That trips me out. Most of us... Uh, are happy if we get an inkling of which way to go in life. This this dude's getting an address and a name. Judas's house over on on West Main, <laughs> Straight Street. Uh, I want you to go there because there's a, there's a cat there named Saul of Tarsus, and it's pretty funny because just as we are, 
when God talks to us, Ananias is like, wait, 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 time out, God. Just a minute. Are you talking about Saul of Tarsus? You're talking about that? I just read about him in the paper yesterday. You want me to go pray for this cat? Wait a minute, God, do you know who you're talking about? It's the same thing we do. We tell God, look, I don't know that you've really thought this directive out. Because if you had, if you don't know God, let me tell you about Him. He, he can point anybody and send them to prison. I got the, 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 the question that I really want to, to bring tonight is, God ever asked you to minister to someone that's ungodly? Has God ever asked you to do something that's way outside of your comfort zone? Because here's Ananias minding his own business, serving God on his way to heaven, and God starts this vision on him and says, I want you to go down to this guy's house because Saul's going to be there. Now this is even cooler yet. God tells Ananias, not only am I going to give you a vision on what to do, I'm going to give you the vision that I gave Saul. Isn't that cool? Not only did God give me a vision, He's going to give me the vision that He gave you. That's really cool to me. So when you go talk to Him, you're going to have His attention right away. And uh, Ananias finally obeys God, and he gets to Saul. And on the way to Saul, as I read Scripture, I see a change in tone. Ananias... It's kind of wrestling with God there for a minute, like we all do. It's like, wait a minute, God. How many times have you said, I think it was God, but if He bugs me again, I'll know it's Him. You know, <laughs> um, I, I think that might have just been me, because that's not a very good idea. But if he, And then there's been times when God would tell me things three and four times. It's like, Dale, go do it. And I'm like, no, you know, that might have just been pizza from last night talking. I, I, I don't know. There's going to be times when God is going to tell you to go minister to somebody and it's not cool for you. It's not comfortable for you. But when he gets to, uh, when he gets to Saul, he changes his tone and, and he tells him three things. First of all, I want you to know that he addresses Saul as brother. Hey, uh, Christian killer, brother, understand that term, that... Ananias was fully persuaded that God had already changed the heart of Saul by the first words out of his mouth. He called him brother. Now, I don't know how much blood was on Saul's hands. I don't know how many hundreds, maybe thousands, that he had sent to prison and to death. And and he has the, the audacity and the confidence to call him brother. Now, I don't know. If you lived in 1940... In Germany, and God told you, I want you to go pray for Adolf Hitler. How confident would you be when you walked into the room? Here's this man with blood on his hands. What if, what if you were in the Middle East and he told you to go pray for Saddam Hussein? And you know that they had killed and killed and killed because of stupid beliefs, whacked out thinking, and God wants you to go minister to them. It makes us look like when we're uncomfortable, it looks, makes us look like a bunch of wimps, doesn't it? It's like, well, I don't know, man. This guy's a jerk. 
Anyways, he calls him brother. And he relays back to Saul, listen, not only am I here because God sent me, I'm going to tell you about your vision. I'm going to tell you what you saw. You saw me coming. And uh, then he says, this is what's going to happen. I, I just see a confidence boosting up in Ananias. And he says, you're going to receive your sight. You're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Have you ever had a minister pray for you and tell you what's going to happen before he prays for you? That's really cool. It's very reassuring. Because it's good to know that one of us in this equation has faith. Right? You're up there like, man, I don't know about this. But, but he speaks real boldly to you and says, this is what's going to happen. This, 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 and he just reads your mail. This is how I picture Ananias. Now, it probably didn't happen the first hour God called him, but by the time he got down to straight street, I think he was thinking straight. So... I, I see a change in confidence in Ananias. And we see here the process of a true conversion. There's a transformation of, of, a, of a man. If you look at what happened to Saul, you can see how a man changes. He, he's, a, he's a great picture of a changed man. First off, he had awareness. Now, he knew all about the history of God. He knew all kinds of Jewish tradition. But something happened when that light hit him. He had a conversation with the very one he was persecuting. So, the first thing that happens during a conversion is an awareness. And then there's repentance. And then there was an outward water baptism that reflects the internal renewal, right? But then, it didn't stop there. He got filled and baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then, the scales fell from his eyes. I believe this is a symbolism. I don't think it takes a genius to put this together. That's a symbolism of the old way of seeing things are falling off. And for once in your life, you finally have some clarity. I don't know if you've ever been through that kind of a transformation where you've seen something all your life one way. And then one moment, one moment God falls upon you. And when you come off that altar, when you come off and wipe your tears, wherever you're at... From that prayer forward, you see things different. Has anyone experienced that? I know I have on many things. and I'm sure we could go around the room and say, what fell off your eyes? What scales fell off your eyes? Have you ever been at church and look up and see somebody and you did not expect to see them and you turn to your friend and say, you will not believe who just walked in the house? I've done it. I've done it dozens of times, even here in this church. Holy God. God is still working because so-and-so just walked in the back door. I know I have. Now, it may be your hateful neighbor, your ugly cousin, or or your your nephew's ex-husband that used to beat... I don't know. I remember one time, in one prayer service, I was working the altars with Pastor Harris. It was in the 19th Street building. And in the moment, in one prayer line, just because I was privy to information, I had to lay hands on and pray for three men that I knew for a fact beat their wives. Now, I have different ideas of what should happen to these men. I think you should beat him like a rag doll if it was up to me. Say, who's the big man now? Beating on a woman. But when they're an altar seeking help, when they're an altar looking for a breakthrough, you have to put down what you know 
and you've got to meet them where they are. And it was one of the toughest things I've ever had to pray for. I remember another time that I had to pray for a person that was uh, carrying the AIDS virus and they came up for a healing. And old Pat is sitting there thinking, he might be crying, dude. And those tears get in your skin. And there was a residency in me that was like, maybe we should just extend our hands to this one. But God wouldn't let me, so I reached up there and grabbed him around the neck and prayed for him. There's going to be times when God's going to ask you to pray for people that it's not cool. There's going to be times when God's going to ask you to minister to somebody that's not your BFF. and There's going to be times you have to counsel people that are ugly. I sat in my office and talked to people that are so messed up and you still have to love them and you still have to say, what would Jesus do with this person? I know what, what my old inclination wants to do. I know what my carnality wants to do. I want to, I want to set them straight. I want to teach them a lesson. And all the time, God wants to minister to them. And uh, But there's times when you're surprised when certain people come to church. I know one time um, I had a family member come and I thought, man, the, the roof's going to fall in because this guy is a bad man. <laughs> and I can't believe he's here. Jesus is still working. Now, imagine this. You go down to the church, Ananias comes up to you and says, you ain't going to believe who's coming to church today. Saul is coming. Saul, the Christian killer, is coming to this church today? Pretty sure he wasn't really well received. Can you imagine? You're not going to believe who's going to come to, to, to church today. Even the Bible records, even the disciples didn't accept him at first. Can you imagine when there are family members in that church that say, Yeah, I remember you, Jack. You took my mama away in chains. I remember you. You condemned my cousin to death. And you're going to roll up in here in my church? Oh, things are different now. After you killed my mother-in-law, now you're going to start thinking it's okay to say the name of Jesus. You see, the conversion of Paul from Saul to Paul was a big deal. It's a picture that, that we look at as this really educated man with lots of power got saved. And I want you to humanize him for a moment. I want you to imagine, walk in his shoes for just a minute. He has to go to family members and friends in that whole region. He, he, had, he had cleaned house. His idea was to stamp out these little flames called Jesus people. I'm going to take them out because they're hurting the Jewish tradition. And I'm not going to rest until I do. So, here is Ananias. This is a dude that would have lived in obscurity his whole life. In fact, some of you may not even really known his name until we looked at him in here. Just a good Christian man that God called upon to do something extravagant. If Ananias hadn't listened to the voice of God... If he didn't follow God, if he hadn't done what God... You see, Ananias, when he was born, had a mission. 
I don't know if you can see this or not, but not being the visual guy I am, I, I see my life as just a whole bunch of like lines and a bunch of crosshairs. And there's people that cross my path on a daily basis. And, and all the people you bump into and all the happenstance that you think's happened in your life, I want you to know that none of that surprises God. He knows where you will be at this time tomorrow. He knows who you will bump into. And there's times when He's going to ask you to minister to people and and it's not real comfortable. But here's this Ananias dude. We would have never said his name probably if it hadn't been for these few verses. In Acts chapter 9, I think he's also mentioned, uh, Paul retells it in Acts chapter 22. Here's a guy that, what if, what if he hadn't followed God? Is it possible? I don't know. Maybe God would have gone to the next person. But all I know is because He did that, two-thirds of your New Testament in front of your eyes today is written. The tables flipped on Paul, though. He wasn't well-received. Finally, when, when he finally started preaching the name of Jesus, the Jewish people that he served all those years turned their back on him, and they started headhunting him. So here we have the headhunter being hunted. And, and we're going to do a study, I'm pretty sure, because I'm pretty jazzed about his life. It's really cool. And um, But it took Ananias, a guy that would have been happily in obscurity. I can look at other people in the Bible when we think of um, Gideon. Gideon's doing his thing, man. He's just, he's just grinding some grapes, running the wine for the family. He's actually low, below the ground. He's kind of just incognito kind of guy and God calls him to be a mighty warrior what Ananias what would have happened if he wouldn't have so what I really want you to look at is none of us in this room have international ministries at least yet nobody here is known as part of the TBN family none of you here have private jets None of you are booked for the next three years speaking engagements. But if Ananias hadn't followed what God said, what could the outcome have been? He was a key member in unfolding the Bible that you study. What would have happened? Who, who was the, the first Sunday school teacher of Billy Graham's? Who was the first person that witnessed the Oral Roberts? What if those people hadn't done their jobs? Those people are us. Those people are you. And you might think you're insignificant. I don't have a title. I'm not validated. I don't have a, a, a big resume. I'm just a dude. I'm just a lady trying to serve God, trying to get by. And God's called you to do some things that aren't comfortable. And you put Him off, and you put Him off. And I have to wonder, and I've done the same thing, I have to wonder, what is it that I could stifle by telling God no? Now, I know God can go various routes, but He has plans for you. 
Plans to bless you, not to curse you. Plans that are, he's got a good life set up for you. And, and you might want to live in, in obscurity. You know, there's days when I want to. There's days where I just want to be a Joe Christian. I just want to blend into the woodwork. I don't want to cause no waves. I don't want a lot of eyeballs. I don't want a lot of targets. And there's other days I want a worldwide ministry. And I know that with that comes a big price. So other days I'm like, hey man, I might just go back to doing something easy. But that's not what I'm called to do. What is it that God's calling you today? I don't know. Sometimes you wake up with somebody on your mind. Maybe you've not developed your ear to hear a street address and a guy's name that goes to the house. Maybe you didn't wake up today and God didn't tell you to go to 400 West Main and there's going to be a guy in there and there's going to be a black dog. And then <laughs> Maybe you haven't developed that. Maybe you haven't heard anything like that. But you've woken up sometimes, and, and there's times when God will wake you out of a deep sleep and have you pray for somebody that you may not even really, you're not exactly in love with this person. You ever wake up with a burden of somebody's face in your heart? How many times have we just rolled over and gone back to sleep? Oh, that goofball, why is he in my head? Very well could have been the Holy Spirit telling us, intercede, intercede. So, I think a lot of us are like Ananias. You don't know what you could do to change history. So what I really want to do now is I want to open it up and I want to talk. I I want discussion. Please, don't leave me stranded. About times when God has used you and it seemed insignificant. But we'll never know. You know, Paul says that One man plants a seed, another man waters, another man sees the harvest. It took probably a Sunday school teacher to get Billy Graham on the right path. It took somebody to to pick up Moses out of that water. They didn't know at the time that I'm going... In this basket lies the deliverer of Israel. This baby that I hold in this basket is going to deliver millions of people out of bondage. But it took somebody to do that. Thank you for joining us for this Wednesday evening podcast from Bethesda Worship Center. You can find more out about us at BethesdaWorshipCenter.com and by liking us on Facebook.